Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks, Roger. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, I was just thinking about things uh, <clears throat> and preparing for the sermon about what my dad would always say. Famous quotes, famous things dad was always known for saying, a common phrase, the cows got out, the pigs made a mess or something happened. And um, what would dad say? Two things. Doggone it or dad burn it. Now, older generations, you probably heard that a lot, right? Those are the two famous quotes my dad was known for saying. You know, we knew his jokes, we knew his comments, but those two sayings, doggone it and dad burn it, uh, were things that we always knew dad would say, get him upset. And, and, uh, but here's some things that you would probably never hear your dad say. At least I never heard my dad say these things. Here's the first one. Well, how about that? I'm lost. Maybe I should pull over and ask for directions. Never heard that one from Dad. I never heard him say this to my sister. I've got one sister, four brothers. He never said this. You know, Pumpkin, now that you're 13, you're ready for an unchaperoned car date. Wouldn't that be fun? Didn't hear that from Dad. Or how about this? Rex, I noticed all your friends have uh, certain negative attitudes. I like that. Didn't hear that from Dad. Or here's the credit card and the keys to the new car. Go crazy. Never heard that. Never heard that. I know I never heard this one from my dad. What do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating, not good enough for you, son? Never heard that one. Your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. Never heard that one. Well, I don't know what's wrong with your car. Probably one of those doohickey thingy majabies. Uh, you know, something that makes it run or something. Just take it to the car mechanic and just pay him whatever he needs. Never heard that one from dad. Dad was like MacGyver. Okay, he would find the, the problem and fix it. Never heard this one. No son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching and let's go to the mall. <laughs> Never heard that one. What do you want to go and get a job for? I've got plenty of money for you to spend. Never heard that one from my dad. My dad was a farmer. We didn't have any money. I think it's on his mattress. I really do believe that. Here's the last one I never heard um, from my dad. Church? <laughs> you don't have to go tomorrow. Just feel free to sleep in and get your rest. You deserve it. Never heard that one from my dad. Um, that was something I, I probably, of all the things I did hear my dad say, is I knew where we were going Sunday morning and uh, to honor our Heavenly Father. And so I just think about all the things that dad said and didn't say. <clears throat> but, you know, there's some things... I will always remember, but there are probably some things as fathers today, phrases we use that our kids have heard too often. Just ask your kids, Dad, you know, go to your kids and say, what does Dad say a lot that, you know, you can just, you just know I'm going to say it. What would they say? What would those phrases be? Unfortunately, today we hear dads <clears throat> use a few common two-word phrases and uh, followed by words that usually deflate the hopes of their child. They go like this, not now, fill in the blank. I can't, finish the sentence, okay. or just wait, finish the sentence. Now, those two word phrases, how do I know those so well? I've used them, you know, I've used them. Sometimes I'm tired, I'm lazy, or I'm just selfish. So when my boys ask for something, it's like, you know, not right now. 
no, 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 maybe later. Well, I can't because I've got this I've got to go do. <clears throat> so I, you know, I've, I've used those phrases before, so I, I get it. I think about how often did my dad use those phrases with me? He probably did. I don't know if I remember them as much. But I was thinking about this, and the reason I share this with you is because I was recently at a graduate's open house, and I was looking at all these pictures. You know, we call them, what, the shrines? Uh, the graduate shrines? And look at all these great pictures. And uh, there's a picture of uh, this boy and his dad, and uh, there's a lot of them. I mean, it just wasn't just this boy. It was him and his dad and his mom and all these family pictures. And then there was these books. And he wrote when he was 10. He made these books when he was 10. And it says, My Dad and I Go on a Trip was the name of the one book. Opened up and, and he wrote about all this, this trip that he took with his dad. And I stood there asking myself, looking at these pictures and books, saying, Do I have pictures like that? You know, and it hit me in two years. We'll be doing one of these open houses. And, um, and I'd sit there and thought, could my kids say, Dad taught me to, or I remember when Dad and I, can, can my boys say that? I hope so. But what I'm thinking about as I'm going through all this, I guess I step back and say, what I'm saying is that as men, men, this is Father's Day, right? Now, again, Mother's Day, we sort of did this to moms and, and said, guys, but you listen in. Well, today it's guys, message for you, but ladies, please listen in, okay? What I'm saying as men, as, the, as fathers, the things we say and the things we do matter. They really matter. Gentlemen, everything that comes out of our mouths matter to our kids. Uh, S. Truett Cathy, I don't know if you know who he is. He's the founder of Chick-fil-A. He wrote this book, and I recently read it. It's a really small, short book. It's a great book. It's called, It's Better to Build Boys Than Mend Men. It's better to build boys than mend men. And uh, in this book, he lists some alarming statistics that are the result of absent fathers. And I'm not just saying dads who aren't home, but dads who are home and don't say anything. And uh, don't do anything. <clears throat> Excuse me. The U.S., this is crazy. The U.S. is the world's uh, leader in fatherless homes. Isn't that amazing? Land of the free and the brave. And we lead the world in fatherless homes. Here's the result. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated with displaced anger comes from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 85% of youth in prison grew up in fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in drug treatment centers come from fatherless homes. It's alarming, isn't it? Unfortunately, these children are more likely to commit suicide, run away from home, have behavior disorders, commit rape, drop out of school, abuse chemical substances, and end up in prison. That's sad. And I understand that some children's dads are no longer here for various reasons, whether it's death, divorce, whatever it may be. And so for this, please listen carefully, because I know we've got some single moms here, okay? In these homes, it's vital that moms, you find great role models for your kids. In your fathers, your uncles, grandfathers, that's where the role models come from. That's where these children then find godly men to look up to so that they're on the flip side of those statistics. They're not the 75%, they're the 25% that did not participate in those things. They're the 10% that did not do those things. 
They find the godly man that builds into their life, and these men will play a great role in helping raise godly children. So men, let me throw this out at you. When we ask for help for children's church or GPS, whatever it may be, you may think you don't qualify. The fact that you're a man of God qualifies you because these kids need godly men in their life. Whether it's helping a GS or being in the, or GPS or being in the nursery, you are a huge influence in a child's life. Even if you don't have kids, even if your kids are growing up and out, your influence as a godly man matters in the lives of children who don't have that. For dads who are home, who do have kids, your role is valuable. Two words. Wake up. Okay? Wake up. I've got to say it to myself. You look in the mirror and say, wake up. I have to do something as a father in my kid's life. And we all know this, men. We're not perfect, right? I think the role of a parent, especially as a father, is an increasing educational, growing thing, learning and learning and learning. And just about the time you figure it all out, what happens? They graduate, right? You're still learning. I'm still learning. Keep being that father. And I understand that there are some men who say, well, I just want to have fun and be buddies with my kids. I, I hear that. And I also understand that there are some men who go through midlife crisis. They forget about the value of being a godly man. They sort of check out and they do this. So, so please hear this. Your role as a father is valuable. It never ends. Until God says, now I want you to come be with me in my presence, that's when our role as fathers ends here on earth. Okay? And by that time, as Dan uh, mentioned, men, we hopefully have left a legacy for our children, grandchildren, so forth and so on to follow. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. <clears throat> Acts chapter 19. This is a different passage. And it's not really one I'm going to expand on and get behind and say, well, this is the meaning behind it. But there is just a phrase in, in this passage. It jumped out at me. And, and I, want to re, I want to sort of go to it. Acts chapter 19 starting in verse 11. <clears throat> you have to understand that um, Paul and was going around preaching and doing some incredible things. And he'd go to the synagogue and preach boldly. And it says here in verse 11 that God gave Paul the power to do unusual miracles. Now, I, I would love to have been there to see this, but listen, it says, verse 12, so that even when handkerchiefs <clears throat> or cloth that touched his skin, were placed on sick people, they were healed. Can you imagine that? So Paul basically took his Kleenex, his handkerchief, handed it to somebody, and they took that and laid it on somebody who was sick, and that person was healed. It's incredible power, isn't it? Where did that power come from? From God, right? Okay. <clears throat> and it goes on to say this, and evil spirits from people came out, and so forth and so on. Look at verse 13. A team of Jews traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits, tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus. So I'm understanding that these guys probably weren't really believers, but they're going to use the name of Jesus because, hey, we can make money off of healing people. The incantation they used was this. <clears throat> I command you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. 
Seven sons of Seba, a leading priest, were doing this. But when they tried it on a man possessed by an evil spirit, the spirit replied, now listen to this, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And he leaped on them and attacked them with such violence, they fled from the house naked and badly injured. When I read that story, I'm, I'm, I just stopped and, and I had to pause and think about this for a while. Oh, I know Jesus. Think about it. These are demons. I know Jesus, and I know Paul. But who are you? I would hope they know who I am. I would hope that if I was ever in that kind of situation, and a demon came and confronted me and said, I know Jesus, I know Paul, and I know you. I'm out of here. But for a demon to look at me and say, I don't know who you are, what does that say about me and my faith? What does it say about me as a child of God? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have surrendered your life to him. His spirit has entered you. And you follow our Heavenly Father. Demons know that. They know that. Are you recognized by the demons as a one who believes and follows? Or would a demon come to you and say, don't know you. I've heard about all these other Christians, these other followers of Christ. Don't know you. Are you a threat to the kingdom of darkness? If Satan were to have this board meeting, okay, and he's sitting around Satan and all these demons, and your name came up in that board meeting, what would they say? Would they say that you're one of the most feared believers of Jesus Christ? Would they say, hey, we need to keep harassing him with our demons and keep opposing him because he keeps standing up for Christ? Or would they say, hey, you know what, guys? Don't worry about him. We don't need to, we don't need to bother him. We don't need to threaten him. He's no threat to us. You know, there's millions of church-going believers today sitting in church Sunday after Sunday who pose no threat to the kingdom of darkness. You know, if we truly believe that we war against the rulers and the principalities and the spiritual forces, which is talked about in Ephesians chapter 6, if we truly believe that, then we must realize our mandate is to stand for Christ. We must understand that we walk in the fullness of God. And that opposes Satan's kingdom. If we are seeking to fully follow the Lord, we need to expect harassment from the enemy. If you think you can be a believer for Jesus Christ and walk scot-free and never have temptation or opposition, you're crazy. God permits, I believe, sometimes temptation to happen because it drives us further into the soil to grow closer to God. These times reveal God's power to keep us, to walk us through temptation, and our message becomes fruitful because we have been obedient to God during those tough times. We suffer for His name. And don't consider it strange when you find yourself fighting spiritually in these, these battles and you're just trying to be obedient to God and you can't figure out why is this going on in my life. He's desiring for you to become strong in Him. And I'm telling you right now, when you begin to feel harassed, chances are you're probably beginning to affect the, the kingdom of darkness and the devil don't like it. So he's probably just jabbing you a little more and upsetting you, frustrating you, trying to keep you from moving forward. 
I want you to understand this. I'm saying this because I'm seeing this a lot lately. Because here's the deal. Sort of like, you know, dates in war when war was declared. We can go back World War I, World War II. We, we remember when Pearl Harbor was attacked. We can remember the date, right? May 5, 2013, this church proclaimed that we will disciple one another. We will work on evangelism. We will work on a toolbox, a possible toolbox, that building, to move forward. We then declared we will have four 24-hour prayer sessions. And for the first time, our church stepped forward and over 50 people participated in a 24-hour prayer service. Do you think at that moment in time, May 5, 2013, we did something drastic spiritually? Absolutely. We basically did this. We drew a line in the sand and said, this is where we stand, Satan. We stand for Jesus Christ. We oppose you because we will be discipled. We will evangelize and share our faith with others. We will consider building or renovating a building and having a larger toolbox to work out to reach more people for Christ. We will be stronger in prayer. And as soon as we did that, oh, did we make somebody mad. Oh, do we have a God who reigns. Amen? So as much as we may tick somebody off by the name of Satan, we have a God who stands with us, before us, and surrounds us and gives us victory in all things. But I think sometimes as men, and I'm just saying this, I think sometimes as men, we stand up and we get knocked around a little and we just sort of cower back down and say, I'm, I'm a little tired of this. I'm bringing this up because, man, the message I want to give to you is, is this, okay? I think it's time for us to rise up. The men got to lead the way. Ladies, you do a wonderful job with what you do in our church and, and, and encouraging the men, but men, it's time for us to rise up. Uh, let, let's, let's consider some truths here, right? Here's the truth, first truth. We, we know there's something wrong. It's called sin, right? Sin affects our world and infects us. But here's the deal. We get to admit it, that sin is in our life, to a holy God and say, God, there is sin in my life. And because of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, you paid the penalty for my sin. So now I seek forgiveness from you. And I ask for forgiveness. And we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And now, as a child of God, we live like a follower of Jesus Christ. And now, our life reflects God. That's truth. Okay? So as a follower of Jesus Christ, men, it's time to shine. Time to shine. We were not created to be dull, apathetic, average Christians in how we live, how we work, how we compete, how we love. We're called to be different than everybody else, brilliant in all things that we do. Turn to Exodus chapter 29, second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus 29. <clears throat> You know, I get to proclaim this message a lot to athletes when I talk to them and different people, and I'm sitting there going, this isn't just for athletes. This is for every person. This is especially for men. Now, I was reading this passage in the book of Exodus. A few words really jumped out. Okay, this passage in Exodus, give you some background on it. It's a very lengthy passage on how Moses was to consecrate Aaron and his sons to be priests to serve God. Remember the word consecrate? We talked about the church at four-part series. Consecrate, to set apart, to be holy, to be different. So Moses is setting apart Aaron and all these priests to be special men of God. 
long passage, process of preparation for worship and ordination. Okay, it's this long ceremony. It's not one of those passages where somebody comes along and says, I've got a favorite memory verse. Exodus chapter 29, verse 30. They're not going to say that. Like, oh, there's this great story in Exodus 29 where these guys rose up and there's a battle. And It's not one of those passages, okay? Exodus chapter 29, look at verse 44. Actually, let's back it up, verse 42. Talking about all these, the altar and sacrifices, verse 42. This is to be a daily burnt offering given from generation to generation. Offer it in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle's entrance where I will meet you and speak with you. Verse 43. I'll meet the people of Israel there. And the tabernacle will be sanctified by my glorious presence. Yes, I will make the tabernacle and the altar most holy. I will set apart Aaron and his sons to be holy that they may be priests. Look at verse 45. This one you see. I will live among the people of Israel and be their God. They will know that I'm the Lord their God and the one who brought them out of Egypt so that I can live among them. I am the Lord their God. Now, this one I want you to hear this passage, okay? God could have lived in Egypt with those people. He could have, right? But God doesn't make his dwelling place in darkness. Egypt was a very dark place with these pharaohs, with their foreign gods, Remember reading through the plagues? As we read through those plagues, the land of Egypt was really destroyed with, with, the, with all the, the hail that came down, the water that was turned to blood, the frogs, the insects, the locusts. That, that land was ripped apart. It was dark, right? Instead of leaving the people in darkness in that landfill of those false gods, God brought them out of slavery God brought them out of bondage. God brought them out of the darkness into a new place. And he said this. He goes, I want to live among you. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? The God of this universe says, I want to live with you. But not where you're at right now. Not in that darkness. I'm calling you out of Egypt, out of the darkness. God was so determined to be with us that he finally, think about this, he finally came in the flesh. Matthew 416 says this, the people who sat in darkness has seen a great light. Let me hear you say great light. And those who lived in a land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. Now the world didn't recognize Jesus Christ when it came, right? John chapter 1 verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12, says that he came but the world didn't recognize him. They didn't accept him. But those who have believed and accepted, he gave right to become children of God. So God brings us out of darkness into light. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. Let me hear you say chosen people. You are a chosen people. Think about that. God picked you. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, listen to this, you can show. Let me hear you say you can show. So you get to do this. I get to do this. We get to show others the goodness of God, for he called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, back in Exodus, God says, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to set apart Aaron, we're going to have priests, and we're going to have this now a time of worship. And we have brought these people out of Egypt, out of darkness. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to live among you. I'm going to be that light. We're going to shine. 
fast forward up to the New Testament, and Peter's saying, hey, we're chosen, a royal priesthood. He called us out of darkness to shine. You read through the scriptures, you see it all connects, right? Here's the deal. God's not disinterested in us. God is not distant from us. God is not somebody off that says, well, I really don't care about you. He does care about you. He does love you. And he wants you to shine. He wants you to live a life of brilliance. See, when we shine, we shine for him. We reflect his glory. Our efforts, our victories, is like a brilliant life that reflects an incredible God. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, Now we have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves, we're like fragile jar clays containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. Do you hear that? Do you hear what Paul's saying? We have a great light shining in us. We're just a fragile, you know, clay jar. We're just a vessel. The power that's in us is from God, just waiting to bust out and shine. That's an incredible thing to realize that we were created to live these brilliant, bright, shining lives for God. We're just a vessel in which God wants to shine through. Think about that. Wherever you go, you take God's power with you. You take the opportunity to go shine for somebody. It's not always easy, is it? But today, understand this. God wants to live among us. He's called us out of darkness to shine for him. And we need to do that. You know, I got to the awesome opportunity um, to share a lot of these kind of messages with teams. We share it with the girls' softball team, right? We share it with, with the girls' basketball team and the boys' basketball team and, and all these teams that we work with. And, and most recently, this is the message I shared with Defiance High School's baseball team. And then I shared it with the Wasions baseball team. Fun part was, is that the Defiance team actually got to continue on in the playoffs. So the week before, actually the Wednesday before they headed down to Columbus, this was a message I shared with them. And I'm sharing with you right now. Each player actually then, that Wednesday at practice, we gave every player a nightlight. And said, unless you plug this in, it's not going to light up. You can have a nightlight holding your hand all you want, but it does no good. See, light gives hope. Light takes away fear of the darkness, right? But when you plug this in, all of a sudden the light shines. Here's the deal. You're just a vessel. I'm just a vessel. This nightlight's just a vessel. But when you plug it into the power source, then you shine. When God's working through us, we shine. It makes a huge difference. I got to share that message with them. And, and then uh, on Friday, I was blessed then to be able to head down to Columbus and getting their dugout and went down underneath the stadium and, and right before they took the field we went down into their, their locker room underneath the stadium and the coach said they're all yours take them alright boys let me share with you something from Romans chapter 8 you believe this? this is cool this is high school baseball and I'm sharing scripture with them I said you know and I'll share this story and hopefully my son isn't embarrassed my youngest um we had a baseball game the night before, and he came home. Clay, you okay if I share this story? Thank you. I should ask. We got home, and um, he was upset because he, he likes playing infield. He likes to pitch, play anywhere in the infield, but the outfield not, not, doesn't like that too much, right? So he came home, and he wanted to know why he had to play left field that night. 
I said, well, you know, coaches, we just said that's, you can play that, okay? Well, he, he played that position, but he got home, was upset about it, and he talked to Jenny about it. And then he started writing this, and I can't remember benefits something, but it's the pros and cons. He got a piece of paper, like, the pros and cons of playing infield and outfield. Like, really? You're 10-year-old. Just go play baseball, right? And he's writing this down, and, and really he found out, I found out later, he shared with Jenny that, see, Dad tends to applaud the kids more who play infield when they make the great plays more than the kids who make the outfield. I didn't realize that. But he was feeling like if he played infield, he would hear more praise from me. And then I found out later the next morning was all he wanted to hear was that dad's proud of him, right? That's all you wanted to hear. And I'm proud of him. Isn't that crazy that all we want is somebody to recognize that what we've done matters? That our father's proud of us? I shared that story with the kids in the dugout or in the down underneath the dugout. And then I shared this. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or we're hungry or cold or we're in danger or threatened with death? Even the scriptures say this, no, no. Despite all things, overwhelming victories are through Christ who loved us. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Death can't, life can't, angels can't, demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. Whether we're high above or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is revealed. Nothing can separate us from God's love. That's what I shared with these kids. You can't make God love you anymore by what you do. You can't make your, proud, your parents any more proud of your, your community, any more proud of you. Whatever you do out on that ball field today, People love you just for the fact that you're here. You don't have to prove anything to them. Just go shine. Just go shine. And I had shared 2 Corinthians 4, 7, all those other verses with them at the previous two days before that. And I'd share that same message with you and my son and anybody else. We don't have to earn God's love. He already loves us. We just now got to shine for him. Just be who God called you to be. Anything you do isn't going to make him love you anymore. He wants you to be, not do. Well, they won that semifinal game. They went out, dug out, and I got to sit there and watch, and pretty cool. But the next day, they played for the state championship. Couldn't be down there. We had our own ball games going on. So that was last Saturday night. Well, Sunday morning before I came to church, I pulled out my phone, turned it on. My phone was like text bombed, as they would say. Over a dozen text messages from all these players and coaches. Hey, this is so-and-so. I play third base. And it's like, I know who you are. And I know, okay. But they all started their messages that way. And then they went on. Hey, thanks for da-da-da-da-da. And it wasn't just a, hey, thanks for coming down. It was long, lengthy messages. My favorite one, though, was uh, that, that said this. P.S. We had one of our nightlights plugged in the whole game. I thought that was pretty cool a reminder to shine. What do we have to do to remind ourselves to shine for Christ? You know, God loves us, calls us out of darkness into a life of life and brilliance. So why can't we shine for him? Our efforts, our victories, our life is a brilliant life reflecting an incredible God. So men, it's time to shine. 
It's time to shine, man. Maybe we could use a little help this morning driving home this point. So I thought I'd bring in an expert to come in to say, men, step it up. I'm going to give you a pep talk, okay? Now you're going to hear some things in here. Robert, uh, Robert Frost, remember the poem he wrote about the, the two roads and, you know, I took the road less traveled. Remember that poem, okay? Our pep talk is going to include that, that poem. Our pep talk is going to talk about stop being boring, about taking a road that leads to being awesome. Dan, you got this queued up, ready to roll? Okay, this pep talk means a lot to me. So, man, this, this is for you. Enjoy. <laughs> oh, life is a cereal. Oh, wait, it is for you. Who would have made Space Jam? You know, those are some good ones in there. Not cool, Robert Frost. Um, some funny sayings in there. But think about what he said. Stop being boring. Aren't we on the same team? Take the road that leads to awesome. We're created to shine for God. There's power to work through us. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, as I'm reading Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. But let God transform you into a new person by the changing the way you think. Then you'll know that God wants, what God wants you to do and you know how good and pleasing His perfect will really is. You know, the battleground begins, man, right here in the mind. Cultivates, it produces attitude and behavior and action. And uh, so when you believe in God as a, as a child of God, understand it's starting here. And how you think and how you live victoriously. And that gets into your attitude and your attitude turns into action and behavior. And I want you to understand that there are identity thieves out there. And the biggest one is Satan. Satan is going to, you know, I'm going I'm, I'm to give you God's word this morning. You're going to hear that little pep talk from that nine-year-old. And you're going to walk out of here. And Satan's going to be standing outside those doors saying, you really going to believe that? You're not going to listen to that, are you? You know, I was at a ball game, and uh, I was thinking about this. Um, I was at third base, coaching third base, and, and I had a coach behind me. The opposing team's coach was behind me, and he wasn't in his dugout. He decided to step outside his dugout and stand there the whole game. And by the second or third inning, he just kept talking and talking. And it was no longer talking to his team. It was talking to me. Coach, you have no class. Coach, you know that I Coach this, you know. Oh, I thought you were a Christian. What's this guy saying? And what he kept saying over and over and over again, I'm going to tell you something. I told our, our coach, I said, that was the hardest time ever to turn the other cheek. It really was. It was so hard to turn the other cheek. But I was sitting there, I thought about that coach just sitting there nagging, nagging, nagging behind me, saying negative things. Here it is. That sat with me all week. Even though I came home and I was like, hi, right, God, that was just a ball game. Why do I coach? This is crazy. I don't want to coach anymore. I, uh, I don't need that. I don't need that, right? It's okay. Wait, wait. And I thought through, what did I, did I deserve that? No. I thought through everything the way I coach. No, that's the way you coach. I, I did it right. So why, 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 you know, and I kept nagging over and over and over and over again. And it bothered me a whole week. Obviously, it still bothers me because I'm sharing it with you now, okay? You know what helped me? You know what helped me through that moment? Because really, that's an identity thief. That's what Satan does. He stands behind and he tries to steal your identity by whispering false things into your ears and negative things into your ears. It tries to make you think less of yourself and who you are and what you're doing. Until you finally start believing it. Then you quit. You give up. 
in Isaiah chapter 43. But now, O Israel, the Lord who created you says this. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I call you by name. You're mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you won't drown. When you walk through fires of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. From the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. Isaiah 43 continues on. You know what I learned from Isaiah 43? That I have a personal God. If I have a personal God who knows my name, that means he chose me, as we know in 1 Peter, right? Guess what? I now have confidence. Because i got a personal God. You know, also I learned in, in Isaiah 43 that my God is present with me. If my God is present with me and my God's present with you, you know what that means? That means that you can be strong. You can persevere through tough times because he's with you. You're not alone. You also learn in, in Isaiah 43 that we have a loving God. And if our God is a loving God, you know what that means? That means that you are valued. Because see, when you don't feel valued, what? You don't have security. But because I am valued, I have security in who I am. I also know from this that my God's faithful. My God is faithful. He won't leave me. I can trust him, right? That means he hears me. He gives me peace. See, when the identity thief tries to come in and sneak and take away all those things about you that you know is true, starts whispering in there, just turn around and tell him to shut up. It's okay, because it's the devil. I'm not talking about that coach now, okay? I'm talking about that devil. I might want to tell him too, but anyway. <laughs> we need to stand up to Satan and say, no, 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 no. You forget, I'm a child of God. And according to truth, which transforms my mind, I'm going to live it out. And I'm going to shine for Christ today. I'm going to shine. Being a godly man is a challenge. I understand that. Raising a family is a challenge. In America, 2 million children between ages 7 and 13 take care of themselves until somebody comes home from work. We spend less time with our children more and, and more, I'm sorry, we spend less time with our children more than any other country in the world. One six-year-old replied, said this, if you could take anything to heaven with you, what would you take? You know what that six-year-old said? My parents, because I think they would have more time for me up there. Isn't that sad? Parents, dads, let's rise up. Let's shine. Let's shine for Christ. Hear what I'm saying, please. And, and listen, I am learning. I'm learning right along with you. Allow God's truth to saturate your mind so when the identity thief comes in, you can say, uh-uh-uh, today I shine. Today I shine. My attitudes, my actions are a direct reflection of my God. And ladies, here's my challenge to you. Encourage the men. Encourage them. Invite them to serve. Don't give up on them, okay? Catch them doing something good and tell them. As parents, we do this a lot, right? We always catch the kids doing the bad things. You didn't take out the garbage. You didn't take it. We always catch them doing the bad things, right? Catch them doing the good things. I love how you just talk to your son. Hey, way to be an encouragement to her. Way to take time out of your schedule to go do this. Wives, ladies, catch the men doing the good things. Pat them on the back for it. Okay? Men, let's go do it. Let's go live for Christ. Let's, let's take the road that leads to awesome. Right? As that nine-year-old said. Would you please stand? Worship team, please come forward.
As we stand, and, and I thought about this, and we're going we're to make a slight change in the service this morning. We're going to head into communion. Um, as, as we head into communion, I'm going to have a little time of prayer. And, and I thought about this. Mothers, you know, we tried to give you something on Mother's Day. And men, I, I really wanted to give you um, a steak today. Not a sirloin steak, okay? Uh, like a tent steak or something, you know, and I, I was trying to think, and I, it, it didn't hit me, and I couldn't think of what to give you, so you're not really getting anything except the charge for me to go do it, okay? But I felt like a tent steak or something, just a, a steak to put in the ground and say, this is my starting point today. Because every, every now and then when you get in life, you get these little mile markers, these little stakes in your life where it's like, this is a moment that I want to remember. And if I could say, find that. Find that moment when spiritually God grabs a hold of you and says, right here, right now, from this day on, I'm going to do this for you, Lord. I don't know what that is for you this morning, but men, I hope and pray that God spoke to you sometime this morning. If not through scripture, through a prayer time, through maybe when the kids are up here, through maybe a song that we sang in worship. Whatever it may be, write it down. From this day forward, Lord, I want to do this for you. I want to shine for you. I want to get in the scripture more for you because the identity thief speaks a lot to me and the only way to combat that is with truth. Okay? Whatever it may be, make this moment as we pray, just a moment, say, God, I'm standing strong for you right now. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. Then after we pray, worship team's going to play. You can go to one of those four different tables where there's communion set up and we will hand the communion to you. You can take it, take communion, and then go ahead and come back to your seat and we'll close with a song of worship. As we take, as we also prepare here, obviously, for the Lord's Supper, we understand that this is a special moment. We reflect back to when Christ was with his disciples in the upper room. And he made that covenant with them. Where he took the bread and he took the wine. He said, this is my body, take eat. This is my blood, drink. And do this in remembrance of me until I come back. We do this to remember what Christ did for us. And, I, and I, I'm saying this now because... If we're just taking communion just to take communion, we're doing it in vain. We're doing it for the wrong reasons. Men, as you take communion today, remember what Christ did for you and I. What can we go do for him now? First, we'll honor him in communion, and we'll go live it out and how we shine for him. Right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this moment in which we could, which we could partake in communion. I think about how your body was broken and your blood was shed for us. That's very humbling. You do to do that for us, Lord. Um, thank you. Lord, help us to honor you with how we think and live, with our love for one another, how we love you, how we love others, how we parent, how we encourage, how we teach, how we compete. In all things, Lord, we want to do it in a way that honors you and shines for you. Lord, as we sing this last song to you, may you be honored with our words, our voices. In the name we pray.